What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just entered my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming related decree. This week, it's all about four games getting major, very exciting game reveals and new gameplay showcases. So let's talk about it and dive right into the episode with my news catch of the week. Gamers, it's that time of year again. The E3 season is upon us. It is officially June, which you know if you are a gamer, that means it's time for E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo. And in the last couple of years, things have been a lot different than it has in years past, meaning there's been some publishers, Sony, and others, Microsoft, who maybe have decided to stay, decided to go, do their own press conferences, what have you. Either way, at the end of the day, I feel like us as gamers always reap the benefits of whatever this time of year brings. And right now is no different. We got a jump start on the E3 festivities this past week with four major game announcements or reveals of games we've already heard of. And it's just so exciting because I absolutely love when this much detail and depth is put into a showcase of even just an individual game. I love it when it's not just a two-minute trailer or especially not just a, a minute-and-a-half cinematic trailer. So this past week, we've had a lot of great stuff showcased, right? Now, four games are what I'm going to highlight in this Catch of the Week, and the first of which is a game that I would say is unfortunately probably not typically considered or would be considered a triple-A blockbuster publication. And that title is Daymare 1994 Sandcastle. And I'm leading off with this game because it's going to be from an indie developer and publisher. Leonardo Interactive is the publisher and Vader Studios is the developer. And if you've never heard of Daymare as a franchise, there was Daymare 1998 released last year on consoles. And if you haven't heard anything about it or don't know any details on it, check out my review. I do have a review out there for it. I absolutely love this game. It's a love letter to the genre of survival horror, Resident Evil 2 specifically. It actually started out as a Resident Evil 2 player-created mod as an homage to that game that Capcom was so threatened by that they told them, yo, you got to stop this. And then they went on to create their own Resident Evil 2 remake because of how much excitement was garnered around what eventually became Daymare 1998. Now with this new title, Daymare 1994 Sandcastle, obviously you can imagine 1994 being the year in the title. This is a prequel to that Daymare 1998 title. Now the amazing thing about this is Daymare is all about a virus that gets out and uh, you know ultimately in 1998 it does spread throughout this town and there's three different main characters that are very much involved with you as the player controlling their outcome in that story. Well in this trailer that we got this past week it was just a very brief two and a half minute seemingly cinematic trailer that we got of a Hades agent. Now I will say Hades is an acronym for Hexacore Advanced Division for Extraction and Search. Now in my personal opinion, I've always considered 
Hades, this game's version or this universe's version of the Stars team in Resident Evil. So again, with the homages. Bottom line is, this game, you play as Dahlia Reyes, who is an ex-government spy who is now employed by Hades. And that's all we really know so far. The trailer starts out, and there is a what looks to be a dying zombie that we hear in the dark. These bullets go off, an automatic gun goes off, and then we see the body of this zombie slump down into the dark-lit hallway of a flooded, what looks to be some kind of research lab area. Now, this ball of electricity comes out of this zombie creature and then floats through the tunnels of this research facility, activating different electrical currents and wires and screens as it goes. And ultimately, we see Dahlia walking through. She activates her Hades suit, and she herself is on the other end of this hallway, ultimately meeting with this really insane-looking monster in the end. And that's kind of where the trailer cuts off. Now, we do have a few details that the game's going to feature new weapons like the liquid nitrogen-blasting frost grip, an updated menu interface and inventory system over Daymare 1998, new puzzles, of course, and lots, lots more. Now, the game is very much like an old-school survival horror game and the fact that you have... As it was mentioned, a lot of puzzles. That was one thing that I loved about Daymare 1998, so I can't wait to see what they have in store for us in 1994 Sandcastle. All I can tell you is it's releasing on PC as well as PlayStation and Xbox platforms next year. We did not get a specific date, just the year of 2022. So I will tell you, it does look like the production budget has been ramped up for this title, which is awesome, because to me that says that Daymare 98 actually sold well enough for them to, one, consider and then approve a sequel, and then two, get the extra funding to really make it something special. Because 98, as much as I loved it, it was not without its technological shortcomings, I'll say. <laughs> but overall, if you love survival horror, you love Resident Evil Old School, check it out. Definitely super excited to see this announcement this past week, among all the other heavy hitters, of which the next title in this segment I will be going into is Dying Light 2. Yet another zombie-oriented game, but an extremely different type of zombie-oriented game. This is coming from the first-person perspective as opposed to third-person in Daymare. And in Dying Light 2, developed by Techland, published by Square Enix, this game's been around for years, guys. It's been in development for years. The original came out back in 2015. One of the original games that I was super stoked for on the Xbox One and PS4 era that I never played. Unfortunately, yes, I am man enough to admit I have that game still wrapped in the plastic from when it launched in January of 2015. Never played it. But I am all about jumping right into Dying Light 2. As the developers did say, if you never played Dying Light 1, you'll be able to just jump right in and lose yourself to this game. As you're controlling main character Aiden Caldwell, he's a survivor trying to piece together his past. And there are multiple factions vying for power over the scraps of civilization. Now, this is the verbatim, basically, verbiage of Techland in their description. Aiden can work for or against each of these factions to help shape your story. But at night, all three factions are at the mercy of the zombies. So it's one of those games where I really like when games do this. 
it reminds me of Dead Rising, I feel, was one of the first to do it. It also very much reminds me of Days Gone. And the fact that during the daytime, zombies, sure, there's plenty of them around. You might want to still be careful and watch out. But it's at nighttime when they really get aggressive and really are out in mass. And you just really need to be making sure you're protecting yourself and you got the firepower to back that up. Now, Dying Light was all about some really cool parkour traversal systems that they had implemented. And especially it being from the first person perspective, the heights of the city buildings and whatnot that you could do this kind of traversal. It was a huge deal at the beginning of the last console generation. So that parkour traversal system returns in Dying Light 2, and it looks just as awesome in this trailer. One of the trailers that they were showing, there is actually the ending of the parkour movement is where you grab a zombie and jump off the side of the building, landing on top of the zombie with it basically exploding beneath you as you hit the concrete. So pretty intense, pretty insane. Uh, I will say that Going with that day-night cycle that the game does implement, a really cool thing that stood out to me, and again, with the Days Gone likeness here, but zombies are in nests. There's going to be nests that are spread throughout the city, and zombies are going to, in the hordes, be occupying these nests during the day, but once that nighttime comes, most of them, not all of them, but most of them will venture out into the city, and it's at that point that you as the player will have to play the whole risk versus reward scenario and decide whether or not you are equipped enough to try to get in and out of these nest areas because the spoils are well worth it, Techland promises. So personally, I can't wait to try this out. I know that I was terrified of the hordes and days gone until I finally kind of found my groove and how to approach those scenarios. So I'm sure it'll probably be the same thing here in Dying Light 2. Definitely sounds really, really cool, and I can't wait to try these nests out. Now, I will say that the combat that is in this game is very visceral, as it was in the first game. And it can be tailored to your play style if you want to focus on melee or guns or crafting your own kind of DIY weapons. It's up to you, the player, to decide how you approach combat. There's going to be many NPCs and the factions, as I mentioned earlier, that are in the world that you can ally yourself with or turn against them, earn their trust, turn against them. But guess what? The decisions you make are going to have repercussions on this game world and the city itself and the people that inhabit it. I can't wait to see what the ramifications are and how global they really are because it was something that when Dying Light 2 was last showcased, Techland really drove home was the impact of your decisions and the factions that you decide to follow and to trust or break trust with. So I can't wait to see the real nitty-gritty details of that. I will say there was a new addition to the gameplay that gives the game its Stay Human title. And that is the fact that Aiden, your character, is actually infected with the virus that turns people into zombies. And you're going to have to monitor Aiden's level of, we'll say, infection as you're playing the game. So make sure he gets timely injections to keep that infection at bay, or else you're going to end up turning into a zombie. Now, I don't know exactly what happens if that were to happen. I don't know if that's game over. I haven't seen Techland say one way or the other. I just know that the whole point of this game is to stay human, as its name implies. Now, along with that new title in the gameplay trailer, we also did get confirmation of some pre-order availability, which is now you can pre-order it, and the mini editions that you can pre-order. You got a standard, deluxe, and collector's editions, 
kind of typical anymore nowadays. As I stated before, I, for whatever crazy reason or reasons, never played the original game. Always wanted to. Well, Techlands kind of got me and you, if you've never played the original, covered. And the fact that they also announced and released pretty much immediately after this announcement trailer, the Platinum Edition of the original Dying Light, which has literally every piece of DLC and expansion released for that original game, as well as the most updated version of Dying Light. So if you never checked out the original, guess what? As of right now, you got six months to try it out and play through all the DLC and expansions before it releases on December 7th, 2021. So I cannot wait. Now, the third game that was highlighted this past week was one from one of my favorite franchises on PlayStation, an exclusive, and that's Horizon Forbidden West. Now, there was a 14-minute state-of-play presentation that Sony had for us, and it was all gameplay. And I will just say, first things first, they did not release any release date for it. There is confirmation that it was, yes, it's still coming to PS4, but this showcase was highlighting the gameplay on a PS5. Now, I will tell you, the visuals were absolutely amazing. First things first, and it was amazing, the visuals in this game. I can't tell you, the water has never looked so amazing uh, above or below surface than it has in this game. I cannot wait to just lose myself underwater in the oceans here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, I will say story-wise, if you're following Horizon as a series, this game takes place about six months after the end of the first game, and you still play as main character Aloy from that game. She still has many friends that are left over from that story. Erend is one of the main friends that she had made in the last game, and he is a big part in this gameplay reveal. Now, the whole point of this gameplay reveal was to kind of highlight and showcase some new features, some new abilities and weapons and gadgets that Aloy has at her disposal, as well as some new machines that are the animalistic and dinosaur-esque looking machines that are your enemies, basically, for the most part of the game. There are some human enemies here or there, but mostly you deal with machines. Now, I will say that ultimately for uh, the beginning of this gameplay reveal we find that Erend has been kidnapped by some local bandits and it's up to Aloy to track him down and rescue him. Now in her quest to get to him she has to bypass a lot of different new enemy types which are these raptor-esque kind of enemies or machines that are called Claw Striders and this is one thing I've always loved about the Horizon series is I love the names that are given to these enemies, these machines. It's just always really cool in my opinion. So Claw Striders are basically there's a really crazy epic chase through the different jungle areas and through the broken down cities and highlighting all kinds of the different graphical fidelities and finesse of the PS5 in the process. Now, I will say that ultimately, after she gets through all of the platforming and parkouring and crazy visual amazingness that she goes through to get to where Erend is, then we get to see highlighted some of the new combat abilities that Aloy is going to have at her disposal in this game, which look really, really cool. Now, in the original game, she has a staff, which is her main weapon of choice between that and the bow and arrows that she uses. And the staff is right there for those melee combat and combo encounters whether it's machine or human, but in this case, it was some bandits she was fighting off, and we see all kinds of different moves. She has a new move that is part of a new set of moves 
And these abilities are called Valor Surges. And the one we saw in this trailer was was one that was kind of a area clearing attack where she slams down the staff and knocks the enemies back off balance. Now, obviously, the bow and arrows return. Those are full on display as well. And they are pretty much your main means of destroying the weak points on enemies, especially those massive giant enemies, which in this trailer we get a mammoth kind of looking enemy, which is the Tremor Tusk is the name official name of this machine and it was during the combat with this enemy that we saw the new slingshot that has some kind of adhesive gel slime looking thing that when you throw it on the enemies it actually slows their movement down and gives you a better opportunity to take them out and chip away at their armor so to speak now one item that i really liked that i saw on display was smoke bombs which is another new item that she has at her disposal to help get her out of tight situations say you're surrounded by enemies just like in assassin's creed or many other games slam a smoke bomb down in the middle of the ground in front of you and then you have a, a hopefully an easy getaway unseen while your enemies are trying to come out of their disarray now i will say all weapons in the game can be upgraded at a workbench, and Aloy can still pick up weapons that are dropped as scraps from the enemies that she's attacking as she's chipping away at their different pieces of armor. Now, the other enemy types that we did see that were new to this series are the pterodactyl-like sunwing, the alligator-like snap maws, and the burrowers that were seen swimming in front of Aloy as she explored a little bit of the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, we'll say a couple of the new gadgets that were also here for us to look at were the pull caster, which is kind of like a grappling hook. Allows her to reach faraway places, climb faster. There was the shield wing, which is essentially a high-tech glider that allows her Aloy to land safely from great heights. Also sneaking up on enemies from above, which is really cool. And then the diving mask, which I really am looking forward to because it's going to allow me to stay underwater and explore to my full heart's content. Uh, and I can't wait for that. Ultimately, there was a focus ability that we also were shown. And this focus ability, it's going to show us areas that are meant for climbing and that allow Aloy to override more machines for mounts or for combat. So cannot wait for Horizon Forbidden West. We did not get, again, a release date. We only got, in the days past the reveal, the fact that it would be holiday 2021. So we will see what that entails as time goes further on. Now the final game that was this past week showcased was Far Cry 6. And I gotta tell you guys, believe it or not, I came away from this one probably the most hyped out of all these four games mentioned. I am a huge fan of the Far Cry series, absolutely love it. And I cannot wait to see actual gameplay for this one. We got the cinematic trailer months ago, forever ago, that was all cinematic, didn't show any gameplay, gave us kind of a premise of what we're expecting from the storyline and area of the game, but that was it. And then it went just dark, dormant, didn't see anything for months and months and months, kept getting delayed. Well, here we are, and I got to tell you, it looks absolutely amazing now as we know, this game is set on the fictional Caribbean island of Yara, which very much takes its visual influence, as well as in other areas, from Cuba. Now, it's the largest Far Cry map to date, as said by the developers, and the country is presided over by main villain Anton Castillo, who's played by the amazing Giancarlo Esposito, probably known from Breaking Bad, and The Mandalorian, really great actor. Now, the main character in this game, 
the last couple games we've had kind of nameless, speakless, created characters in Far Cry 5 and Far Cry New Dawn. Well, in this game, we have the character of Danny Rojas. Now, in the trailers that were shown off, we see a female Danny Rojas. The developers did say that there is an option to play as a female or male version of the character. I got to tell you, after what I've seen in all these trailers, I feel like it just fits and makes sense for this character to be the female Danny. So I very well may play as the female Danny. Typically, I'll always go male, but in this game, I'm telling you, it just it looks and feels right. So the character of Danny, whether it's male or female you play as, the character is an orphan. And at the beginning of the game, their family is gunned down and killed, of course, by Anton. So now you have the revenge story and the motivation for why Danny wants to go after Anton. And in the process of this revenge story, Danny is getting caught up with this new guerrilla fighter group known as Libertad. And it's through Libertad that she gains access to all these do-it-yourself kind of weapons and the access to the munitions she needs and the extra guns for hire or bodies to help kind of lead this revolution and overthrow Anton. Now, I will tell you that the biggest thing that stood out to me of this trailer reveal event, because there were multiple trailers, the graphics are absolutely stunning in this game. I mean, just absolutely phenomenal. Every time they flash back and showed the foliage and the jungle setting, it's just absolutely amazing. I can't wait to explore this place. Now, I will tell you the island itself is a mixture of tropical and urban environments. The capital city of Esperanza is a huge detail that was something brand new for the franchise. Far Cry has typically been about an outdoor-esque environment. Never really done an urban environment before in the series, so this is the first time that's happening. I'm really excited about it. The developer said, how do you do a Far Cry game without the jungle aspect or the how do you do an urban environment in a Far Cry game their solution is verticality so I'm very interested to see what they do with that now I will say traversal on series regular options by foot boat and helicopter have returned but there are some new options here for you in the form of extremely customizable cars and horseback so that looks like a lot of fun the cars are very much 1950s style uh, alluding again to that Cuban inspiration where the trade tariffs would not allow any modernized vehicles to be shipped to Cuba. And I will say that the cars are fully customizable with rocket exhausts, guns in the hoods, all kinds of different options there available. Weapons are also extremely customizable. The biggest highlight from these trailers was probably the gun that shoots the CDR discs and plays the Macarena as you're walking around and shooting people. Uh, it was, it's, it's quite amusing, to be honest with you. I'm just, I, I gotta tell you, I'm just, I'm frothing at the mouth to get into this world. Uh, there are new pet uh, allies that you can acquire as you play through the game. The two that were highlighted in these trailers, there is an alligator that is very much used for stealth high grass areas, where if you're in an area where there's multiple enemies around and you're trying to sneak through, you can whistle and basically sick the alligator to go stealthily take out an enemy or Use your other pet friend, which is Chorizo, the little tiny dog that has the wheelchair for the back end of his body. And he is, with his cuteness, meant to distract enemies so you can sneak up on them and execute them as well. So that's only two of what are supposed to be many options for your pet friends. Now, I will say it just looks amazing with the different amount of NPCs that you can interact with, the different towns that you can come across, and there's different hidden bunkers and 
different routes that you can go through that are underground passageways from the revolution of the 60s and so much lore and amazingness that seems like is on on display here and on hand for us to discover and i spent roughly 100 hours in far cry 5 i can guarantee you i'm going to spend more than that in this game it just looks that amazing so when are we going to be able to get our hands on it they did announce a release date the newest release date for far cry 6 october 7th of this year so we were a short four months away from being able to get our hands on whichever Danny Rojas we choose to play as and getting started on our Revolution with Libertad. And I cannot wait. And that was my news catch of the week. Four amazing looking games that I cannot wait to play coming in our future. And now let's go open up my captain's log and see what games that I've been playing this past week. Gamers, I got to admit this past week, I was a little bit all over the place with what games I was playing. I, there was not really one dedicated game that I stayed focused on for the majority of the week. I was just a little bit of everywhere. So got quite a few different titles to go over with you guys and my progress in each. So I'll start out with, you know, one that's been around for quite a while at this point, and that's Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Believe it or not, after a month of not touching it since the beginning of May, I did drop another three hours in it. Uh, since the last recording, and I just absolutely love this game. I cannot get enough of it, even though I'm well over 100 hours into it at this point. It doesn't matter. I still, every time I play it, I'm just really enjoying what I do. And what I was doing this most recent three hours, I'm still in the region of Oxenfordshire. I mostly was just pretty much knocking out the icons and clearing them out of the region. And in doing so, I took out a couple of dark objects. There was a world event or two that I took care of, did some fishing along the way, and the contracts that Rita gives you from the, the kids that are spread around the world, they give you contracts for hire, and then you can get the opals that they give you as currency to go and spend on different items in their marketplace. Well, the bottom line is I picked up a few of those, did a couple of those, and really just the different pieces of wealth and treasure chest, little orange dot icons if you played the game, that are in different villages or different areas that you can access and get to. Just really just clearing out all the icons I could during the course of that three hours. Had a great time doing that. Now, I will say that Avengers, I finally got back to it after a few weeks hiatus focusing on Resident Evil 8. And in so doing, I did complete the Cap Captain America training mission. And I also did his iconic mission, which I got to tell you, I really, really thoroughly enjoyed his iconic mission. I thought it was really well done. The exterior environment that you go to to start the mission, it was giant, expansive, beautiful graphically. Great selection of items and platforming elements. Very few enemy encounters, which made it actually that much easier and more fun to explore the area. And then when you go to the next portion of that mission, it was just like, what? This is awesome. So really thoroughly enjoyed his iconic mission. And I did complete the fifth and final harm room challenge. Got me a silver trophy. Always awesome when that happens. So really enjoyed what time I spent with Avengers this past week. I really am hoping that I close the book on this game and finish it and beat the campaign here in the next day or two, which will then hopefully get me a review out to you guys soon after. Now, a couple of other games that I tried out finally uh, this past week. One was a new release this past week and another I'd had for a couple months now and just had not tried it yet. The first of which is the one that I've had for a couple months that was Paradise Lost, which if you've never heard of it, it's essentially a walking simulator where you play as a young boy whose parents have 
mysteriously gone missing or are no longer in his life for whatever reason. I don't want to spoil anything. The bottom line is he has a photograph that showcases the fact that his parents were somehow potentially involved in Nazi Germany and in a Nazi Germany bunker. Now, this game takes place in a post-apocalyptic alternate future after World War II, and he is over in Germany. So he travels by himself to these abandoned bunkers in the snow, and he explores these bunkers trying to find clues to progress and further get him to the answers that he's looking for about his family. Now, the really interesting thing about this game is the way it's laid out. It's a very short game, roughly five hours long. It's set through the five stages of grief. And I played through the first stage, and it roughly about an hour, which is why I would say it's about a five-hour game. So I will tell you that in that first hour of play, I did enjoy what I played. I will say from a control standpoint, it was pretty rough. And from a audio and voice acting standpoint, it was also a little rough. So not the greatest in those senses, but visually it was pretty decent. And just the environment and the world and kind of getting lost in that lore of what happened here and the mystery of it all, that was the biggest allure for me for this game. So that was the biggest plus of Paradise Lost. Now, the other game that I played was a new release this past week, and it was one that I've been looking forward to for a while, a game called Song of Horror. Now, this game had previously released on PC, and it was supposed to release on console back in October, right before Halloween of last year. Now, I was very excited for this game to release then, and right before release, just days before release, it, it was announced that the developer had said that they were going to have to delay the game for quality purposes and that it would come out in early of 2021. Well, here we are. Now we're in June and it was late May of 2021, but it finally released. So I was very excited because it is an homage. It is a third person fixed camera perspective survival horror game. And you play as potentially 13 different characters over the course of this story. And the uniqueness of this game is the fact that once you get into it, you are dealing in a haunted area, or is it, with an entity known as the Presence. Now, you can turn this off if you want to, but it does have permadeath. So if these characters, if you die as one, you will transition to one of the other 13 characters and that death of the character you were playing as has an impact, and it's a ripple effect uh, with the other characters and how the rest of the game plays out. So very, very interesting premise to me, and I was very intrigued by it, so I couldn't wait to play it. I only played maybe half an hour is all I was able to really do, and I didn't really get enough into it to really give you a valid opinion. I will say graphically it looked pretty solid. Voice acting kind of questionable not the greatest not the worst better than paradise lost but from a gameplay standpoint controlled a little weak uh there was a lot of cool 90s references in there x files different things like that that I, I appreciated but i haven't really gotten into it enough to really give you guys a valid opinion yet so i will keep you posted on that as i play it but i will say my biggest and best game that i played this week was none other than it takes two now, if you never heard of It Takes Two, it is a two-player co-op only game developed and published by EA. Now, the developer is the same developer who did A Way Out, which was the two-player co-op only EA published game from a few years ago that was about two guys trying to escape prison. 
Now, when I say two-player co-op only, yes, that is correct. You can only play two players, whether it's co-op local on the couch or co-op split screen over Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, whatever console you play on. Bottom line is you have to have a friend to play through this game. It's not possible otherwise. So for me, I am extremely blessed enough to have a wife who also loves video games. So when I saw It Takes Two previewed a few months ago, we both saw it together, thought it looked really cool. Finally got it when it came out at the end of March. Never got around to playing it. Well, here we are. We finally decided to play it. I got to tell you, woo, it is so much fun. It is an action platformer where the basic premise is you play as a husband or wife, and one character plays the husband, one character plays the wife, and they are in the beginning stages of going through a divorce. And their daughter, obviously, is not wanting that to happen. So she creates these dolls that replicate her mother and father. And through the magic of what would be a, a likened to a Pixar or Disney movie, her tears have now transported her parents into these dolls, and you are shrunken down to that size. And you have to go through a Honey, I Shrunk Your Kids or grounded style, oversized world as these shrunken dolls. And you have to use co-op. You have to work together. You have to, <laughs> to get through all the different areas and levels and bosses and puzzles. And I got to tell you, it is an absolute blast. I have had so much fun playing it. The graphics are absolutely amazing. The, the environments are so beautiful. I'm constantly amazed at how beautiful these environments are. It's just a, a fun game to play with your best friend, with your wife, whoever it is, your husband, doesn't matter. I guarantee you, you will not, not have fun. Like there is just no question. I will be absolutely shocked if you were to tell me you did not have fun playing this game. It is that great. I recommend it that highly. It controls exponentially well. A couple of hiccups here or there with the platforming and maybe some collision detection, but overall, great game all around. Sound, music, voice acting, graphics, control. It's, just, it's like playing a Pixar or Disney movie. I'm telling you, it is awesome. Absolutely awesome. And with that being said, I will now segue into my highlights of the week. Gamers, I'm sure it comes as no surprise that my highlight of the week this past week was playing It Takes Two. But it wasn't just the act of playing It Takes Two in and of itself. There was a lot of other factors that really just made this the highlight and accentuated the experience as a whole. So as I stated, we've been sitting on this game, me and my wife, for a couple months now. It came out, the game, at the end of March, and here we are. We started playing at the end of May. Now, what was really cool about it is our anniversary, our wedding anniversary is May 31st. So guess what? We actually ended up playing the game on our anniversary, May 31st. And the fact that it was a couple in the game and we were a married couple in real life. Now, granted, don't get it twisted. We are not a married couple seeking divorce at all. But the fact that it was a married couple and you're playing, you know, we are a married couple on our anniversary playing It Takes Two. Just really kind of accentuated it. Kind of corny, but still cool at the same time. And just in general, the amount of amazingness that the gameplay brought on and the fun and just the collaboration between it and the characters. And it was just an absolute blast this past week. The stages that we've progressed through. The game does consist of nine stages with multiple chapters in each stage. And we were able to play through all chapters in the first stage and the first three chapters in the second stage. It's just a blast to play, and I love the fact that it's actually a lot more depth to it than what you would normally think. I personally, at least, maybe I'm naive here, but I would have thought that a 
two-player co-op focused game would have been a shorter experience, but her and I have already put almost four hours into this game, and as I stated, we're only on the second stage, multiple chapters in, out of nine stages. So for that to be the case, that's pretty intense, but I think it's great. Uh, so far, we haven't gotten tired of the gameplay or anything, but it was by far, without question, my highlight of the week. Now let's go open up some buried treasure gaming tips I have for you in It Takes Two. Gamers, about halfway through the second stage, which when you get to playing the game, I hope you do, it is once you're inside the tree. And in this tree, you'll come to a point where there's a fork and you'll have a left way path to go and a right path to go to. Now, the right path leads to an area that has what looks to be an empty jar, a giant red button. And the whole time you're going through this tree, the squirrels, yes, the squirrels are telling you, don't press the red button. Whatever you do, don't press the red button. Keep that in mind. To the left of the fork. Well, that is going to a, ultimately, I'll just say the progression of the level. And it's a point of no return. So you don't want to go left at this fork. When you come to this area, go right. Because you'll miss out, if you don't, on a really unique achievement and just a fun funny little scenario all i can say is make sure both of you go to this area to the right have someone jump on the red button and follow the prompts afterward i don't want to ruin the surprise and the fun and comedy of the moment just make sure that whatever you do neither one of you progress to the left so that's my buried treasure gaming tip for you this week now let's go check out what my captain's decree is Gamers, amid all of the high-profile gaming reveals last week, there was also a nice little article that I came across that said, PlayStation is planning expansion into mobile gaming and apps. And that's what I'm here to discuss in my Captain's Decree segment this week. Is that a good idea? Well, let's find out. So the news was revealed thanks to a set of investor relations documents that were published on May 26th. And Sony Interactive CEO Jim Ryan, he had said, quote-unquote, we have been thinking about how players enjoy our content and have had some early success with experimenting with mobile games and apps to provide more choice to gamers. More specifically, PlayStation's roster of first-party IP can transition to smartphone gaming and complement our AAA games or live services games. We are exploring the mobile market with some wonderful PlayStation franchises, so please stay tuned. So here's my thing, guys. <sighs> When he's talking about going to gaming on mobile devices and gaming apps and different things of that nature, what exactly are the specifics here? And that's where my speculation is and what my concern or excitement, depending on where we're talking here, lies. Now, my question is, is it more like Nintendo and what they did with Super Mario Run? You created a game that was using a franchise or an icon of one of your franchises in a made exclusively for mobile, a specific mobile type experience? Or are you going the route of more like Microsoft and going for your own version of xCloud? Now, don't get me wrong. I know you can do remote play on your phone and things of that nature right now with PlayStation, but it is not on that same level as xCloud with the Xbox. And that's not a slight on Sony. That's just saying for some people who may say, well, wait a minute now, I can play PlayStation games on my phone. Sure but not on the same level of what you can do with the Xbox, the Game Pass, and xCloud. 
So is that what they're talking about? Trying to find some kind of expansion for that to compete with Xbox in that sense? Because we already know they're trying to and have something in the works to compete specifically with Game Pass. We've already heard that. We've already had confirmation of that from, yet again, Jim Ryan. So what do you guys think it is? Personally, my preference would be xCloud. That's what I would want it to be, is something along the lines of xCloud. I would not really care about seeing Crash Bandicoot Run or Sackboy Run, you know, I, whatever it may be called. But my point is, I would rather not see something like Mario Run, but with PlayStation franchise characters. I am not opposed to a mobile-specific experience with a PlayStation franchise or characters from a PlayStation franchise, but I feel like I would prefer to have a dedicated server-based platform like the xCloud is for the PlayStation. I think that would be awesome if that was potentially the route they were going. Now, they also did specifically mention apps. So what do they mean when they say apps? I mean, obviously, we already have the PlayStation app, which is arguably not as good as what it used to be because you can't look at other people's uh, screenshots and game clips and you can't post them from there it's just uh, uh, hopefully updates will come and at least that app will be updated and we can have those features back to us that were already with us in the last older version of the app before the ps5 launched but the bottom line is is it something along those lines where it's tied to your playstation network account or tied to your playstation console or is it something entirely different i just my mind wonders where that exactly will go as far as apps because if it's separated games and apps or mobile gaming and apps that means that to me the apps aren't necessarily just games there's more to it there's more functionality there there's something else going on so i can't wait to see what that is personally i don't think it's a bad idea to branch out into either of these areas of play or options my decree here would be, Sony, just don't ruin your franchises in the process. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. Reach out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com or find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.